from runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell and Greg Hughes. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 153 with guest Dave Sobel, recorded Thursday, March 4th, 2010. Run As Radio is produced each week by Pwop Productions, providing professional media and podcasting services online at pwop.com. You can follow the boys on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Thank you, Brandon. This is Richard Campbell with an unusual version of Run As Radio today because I am without Greg Hughes. But uh, I hope everything's all right for Greg. He's having a little bit of a crisis today, and with any luck, uh, we'll be back in the saddle as per normal next week. So let's get right into introducing the guest this week, and it's Dave Sobel. He's the founder and CEO of Evolve Technologies, a consulting firm that provides information technology and computer networking services to the small business, faith-based, and nonprofit communities in Washington, D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. Evolve Technologies provides a wide array of services, including server installation, virus protection, network security, backup services, and complete information technology outsourcing. The first Microsoft Small Business Specialist located in Washington, D.C. area, Evolve Technologies is a Microsoft certified partner. Prior to founding Evolve Technologies, Sobel worked as a web architect for a consulting company doing security, network, and infrastructure design for Fortune 1000 companies. Sobel holds a bachelor's degree in computer science from the College of William & Mary. Welcome, Dave. Well, thanks for having me. So you, this whole small business thing fascinates me. It sounds like a very interesting uh, lifestyle, essentially, of working. What do your customers typically look like? I, you know, I, I, love, I love small business. I've been, uh, I, I sort of laugh, and over my career, I went from, from big companies to smaller and smaller and smaller companies for my own employment. And by the time I got, got to a, a really small one, I said, you know, this is fun. I'm going to go do my own. So then, you know, started as my own organization and then built up my staff. Um, our, our customer base, the way we describe it is, is less than 150 users is the, the, the profile we're looking for. We're actually a lot more particular about the kinds of people we're looking for. But from a general perspective, we, we consider small and medium sized businesses that we look for less than 150 employees. Um, we like to work locally, so we're looking for Customers with office, you know, physical office space, about an hour's drive from our office. And if, if you're familiar with the Washington area, traffic is so variable, we do it based on travel time right. rather than physical distance. Than distance, yeah, because that, um, that hour could only be two blocks. I've been there when that was when it was like that. Sometimes, yeah. The far <laughs> side, the far side of the city is not really in our target. Uh, we 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 do work over there occasionally, but in terms of who we're looking for. Um, it, it's a little closer to home. We use Metro to get around and such. So it's, it's, uh, the smaller companies. We like to, we work with a lot of not-for-profits. We work with some healthcare organizations and we work with kind of that general business style, uh, you know, pe- people that are doing business consulting. So do these sorts of firms simply not have IT staff at all? Well, some do. Um, I, I find they tend to fall into two categories. The first is the ones that don't have a staff at all. Right. Um, and, and, and generally I say they, and they shouldn't, and they should avoid having staff as long as possible in IT because they don't do IT. Yeah, it's not their business. Yeah, they don't, that's not their business. And, and since, you know, I believe that, that a business should focus on what they're good at and find partners for everything else, it fits in that philosophy. You know, if you're, if you're a law firm, 
and you're a great lawyer, how do you know your IT guy's any good? Right, right. And how do you keep them trained, and how do you keep them engaged? And, and good IT people, like people that, that like the challenge, want to continue to push and grow and that's difficult to do in, a, in an environment where you know, your, your job then becomes to keep things stable. Yeah, your career motivation becomes different from your uh, from your job motivation. So when I'm thinking about a company with only 150 or less people, are we talking anything more than a server? You know, it de- that really comes to depend on what they're doing as a business. Um, you know, we have we've had small customers you know, who who only have say twenty or thirty people have six or seven servers because they're doing something highly technical or they have analysis or they're a healthcare firm and so there's very particular needs for data analysis. I mean, it, it doesn't it really varies based on what they do business wise. And particularly now with some of the stuff we're doing in virtualization, when we talk about, you know, only one server, well, maybe we only need one physical chassis, but it actually has four workloads on right. top of it. Um, so it, it's such a variable kind of discussion that I really don't like to jump right into talking about, you know, how many servers you have. I like to talk about, you know, what applications are you running? What what software do you use, and what what are you trying to accomplish with your infrastructure? Well, and, it, and it's certainly there's certain workloads that don't work and play well with others. And when I say that, I'm thinking Exchange, but that's just me. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, and, and and we've got multiple ways of doing Exchange now. In some cases, you know, you put ex- Exchange on a customer's premise because it integrates with other pieces of software they use. And in other cases, you'll say now we put your exchange system out on the, on the internet, mm-hmm. you know, in, quote unquote, in the cloud, um, you know, because they don't want to have that physical infrastructure on on premises. So we can do hybrid models, or we can put all of it online. And and so the the you know again, how many servers do you have when you're subscribing to Exchange and maybe getting you know IT resources on a utility basis? I sort of say, who cares? You know, I just want you to be able to do what you, you need to do. Right. If it's just mail, why would you want to own the server? Well, it depends because in some cases you might want to. I mean, we, we use, uh, you know, we, we have ourselves and one of our customers who use a similar kind of application where our um, customer management software actually integrates with Exchange. So the two need to live next to one another. And so in that case, you need to own the Exchange server. Right. But if you're a, uh, you know, a smaller, you know, PR practice, which is, you know, one of our customers, they're moving their exchange off site because why have it on premise? Yeah. Why, why have that expense and, and concern? So, I mean, typically I think folks think about Hyper V virtualization as a fairly large scale implementation. It does make sense this small. It, uh, it absolutely does. And I, you know, particularly because you're, you're, Quoting on Hyper, the Microsoft Hyper-V platform. I mean, I'm a Microsoft MVP in that technology. Right. Um, and all of our work is in the small business. Um, you know, a lot of times, one of the great examples that I use for SMB, there's actually two of them. The first is, is that you've got a server that's running very, very well. And you've paid a, a good solution provider, I don't know, like my company, mm-hmm. <laughs> to, to run it for a number of years, and you know, and, and things are running really well. But the hardware is getting very old. Right. We've got a technique for virtualizing that environment to move it to new hardware, so that you can move to new hardware 
now be completely portable and flexible with with your environment and move to new hardware, but keep the existing environment because you're really happy with it. It does exactly what you need, and you're not ready to make that migration expense at this time. So now we can separate the two. So you can make a hardware investment rather, you know, without having to make the, the, the additional software investment. Where, as before, we were always requiring you to do the two together. Right. You know, anytime you, anytime you would, would need new hardware, we'd require a migration. And anytime you'd need new software, we, you know, we might need new hardware. Now we can separate. Well, and in, in the reality, of course, was that when you wanted to replace that hardware, you, the effort to do that was so great, you might as well replace the software. And now that's not the case, and that's one of the key scenarios that we're using virtualization for is to separate those two so that you can make more intelligent decisions about your investment. The other scenario we find that's very, very compelling is around disaster recovery planning. We can use virtualization as part of the toolkit now to enable you to have a complete DR solution, even for a very small company. You know, we, we, we now can replicate a server off-site into our hosted environment. So say you've got an on-premise environment, we can have a complete copy of your, your server environment hosted on the internet. So then in the event of a disaster, from small to large, we can bring you up on the online and bring you back up entirely. Um, you know, and, and my example with DR, everyone always sort of thinks, you know, well, we're, you know, the earthquake in Chile and, and the, you know, and, and such, that, you know, that's not going to happen here. Right. A much more common DR scenario is one that, that I like to tell the story of, what if there's a fire in the lobby of your building and you can't get into the, into the, your physical facility? Right. That's yeah. actually kind of common. That, that happens. Yeah, sure but it does. You, you're blocked out of your building. That's the kind of disaster that we're talking about. You know, we have those crazy snows here in in Washington. I couldn't get people around, but we so we you know we put our DR plan into place and we're fully operational. You know, in terms of the way we did it. Now that portion of the DR plan involves where we put people and their connectivity, as opposed to you know lighting up servers in the cloud. But we had all of the options ready. So, what sort of backup solution are you using for the virtual machines to be able to to make them portable? So we're we're actually um, we do a couple of different things. Um, so one of the things is, is by by definition, virtual machines are just sort of software files. Right. So we use a, a replication technology that allows us to move them off to our hosted data center. It gives us an interface to it as well, so we can actually show the customer via the web. Look, watch us bring up the bring up your server and give them access to it themselves. And, of course, those files aren't small either. You're talking 16, 24 gigs in some cases. Like, they're, they're big files. It's the challenge of actually, say, getting them to another data center is not trivial. I don't want to, to stream that over the Internet. Well, so the way, our, the way our technology is based is we actually move, we physically move the feed image, so the full initial image. Okay. And then we actually take daily incremental changes and roll those into the image. Right, because in Hyper-V, we have the journal drive, so you just basically yep. main, maintain a journal drive, roll it up each day, but make a copy of it first and roll it into your backup. Exactly. And so we, we merge those together, create a new gold standard in the cloud on a daily basis. Okay. And so, yeah, you're, now you're just sending the Delta up. And, and is the normal configuration, I have my, my server in my office with the running the Hyper-V configuration, and then I have a DR site that is a 
an ISP of some kind? Yeah, so the way we're offering, we all offer it as a managed service right? so that we actually take care of all the pieces for you. Oh, okay. It reduces the complexity because then we don't have to assemble all the pieces and, and we can monitor and manage the whole thing and have it ready anytime you need it. I could also see, I mean, still small business, but two branch offices each having a server and replicating each other as well. Absolutely. You can definitely you can use it in circumstances like that. Um, you know, you can you can use virtualization technologies for desktops. If you want to have, you know, ready-to-go desktops for remote users, you know, virtualization is a great way of doing that, and it can ramp up very quickly. There's a lot of different scenarios that we can use. Isn't the licensing prohibitive in this, in, in the, the, the workstation model? Where does, How does that make, work out legally? So... Microsoft has actually been been working specifically on solving these problems that have licensing arrangements for that intend for virtualization. So you can actually use your, you know, open licenses can be used in in certain circumstances for virtualization. There are hosted versions. We can offer the licensing as a service. There's a bunch of different ways now to handle that problem. Cool. And and in terms of uh, and I'm. By all means, just tell me if you're not knowledgeable exactly on this. How many virtual machines can I run per server on what license? I'm just thinking about the cost in licensing for a small business here. Sure. So, it, 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 and it varies depending on. I mean, particularly if we're talking about Windows specifically. Right. Um, it varies depending on the you know the product skew to use the the technical term for it. Um, but for example, the, the product we talk a lot about in the in the small business is Microsoft Small Business Server. Oh right. Um, so Small Business Server, the 2008 edition, when you bu- when you buy the premium edition, it actually comes with a with two pieces of, of software from an OS perspective. It comes with the SBS bundle, but it additionally comes with a full version of Windows Server sta- uh, 2008 standard. Okay. Now, standard, if you were to go to the store and buy it, actually includes what they call one plus one licensing. And one plus one licensing means that we can use one on the physical host, and then we get one virtual machine. By bundling that in the SBS bundle, that means we get the virtualization layer, the SBS system, which can be virtualized, right. and an additional server that we can then run our line of business application all on one single server purchase. And don't you want to keep the host machine in this scenario basically bare? All it does is run the, the virtual machine manager? You do. But, but, but again, you're not losing anything in this licensing scenario. Because okay. you, you, the, the basic purchase gets you SBS plus your full version of Windows Server Standard, which you can use then as the VM. So you're actually gaining that virtualization layer as part of the bundle. I'm just saying, so do I have two virtual machines when I'm done here? One that's just a sort of bare virtual machine, uh, uh, Windows installation, and one that's SBS? Exactly. In a way, I have three licenses then, too, because there's also the host machine license. Right. Now, the, ho- the host is, is restricted to the Hyper-V role, so okay. that's, you know, that's all you do with mm-hmm. it. To be licensing compliant, you don't put anything on the host machine. Uh, well, not only licensing compliant, but... It's the recommended architecture. Okay. You don't want anything down there. And to a certain degree, why would you? You've got that full virtual machine that you can put anything you want into there. Right. Well, yeah, this is fascinating, just the, the, the fact that Microsoft's really grappling with this, too, to, to license it in a way that makes sense. Now, if I remember correctly, and I'm really digging back here, doesn't SBS also have an ability to break into more than one server? 
So SBS itself does not. Ah, okay. SBS supports the addition of additional servers. So if you need more servers, the licensing model on SBS is actually really generous. When you buy, you know, the people always complain about buying those client access licenses. Yes. Well, with the SBS, CALs actually apply to all servers that you buy in that environment. So once you buy, like if you need a, a, you know, now you buy premium and you've got your SBS plus a single edition. If you need another server, you just go out and buy the server license and your CALs for SBS apply to that new server. And then there's also now the essential business servers as well, right? The next tier up. There, there is, and that's in, that's it. What what that does is so SBS is intended for organizations kind of between five and about, and, and it goes up to seventy five. Right. E, EBS is intended for users that go from about fifty all the way up to two fifty because it's a three server configuration and it scales a little differently. So between the two, you've got licensing options that go all the way, all the way you need. And EBS has a very similar kind of premium edition that comes with an additional uh, server license that you can then use in the same one-plus manner. Yeah, and I can see your business then straddles the line between both SBS and EBS. Yep, we do. So, for I mean, for example, I'm certified in both because right. that, those are, you know, we want to make sure that we're using the right product for the right customer. That makes sense. I really, I feel like, just recapping here, there's two areas that virtualization really helps small business. The first is making us hardware update resistant, that we can move from hardware to hardware without having to rebuild our apps that we probably don't need rebuilding. And the other one is this disaster recovery scenario. Are there other things that we can do? So, I mean, there are actually a lot of different things we can do. We, we use it to simplify the migration process. In fact, we can do system migrations with either zero or near zero downtime, depending on the way the customer wants to implement. And we use virtualization for that so that we can actually take, you know, my, my team actually is right now in, working on a project exactly like this, where we take a snapshot of an existing server, we virtualize it, we then perform the migration, and we can then bring that new server in as a virtual machine and migrate the, the d- delta changes since our initial snapshot. And so we can really migrate a customer with either zero or near zero downtime. Now, forgive me, because I tend towards larger systems, but that sounds like System Center Virtual Machine Manager there. That, that, that's what that tool does. So that is, that is, and that's one of the, we have several different ways we do it, and SCVMM is available in a workgroup edition uh-huh. in the SMB. So it, it supports a, a smaller install at a, at a you know, more SMB price point that, that is affordable for them. Well, and it's interesting to just see that there is a there is all of these tools in one form or another for the uh, the the SMB market. It's, that big yeah. thing for me is I I know from doing licensing at the enterprise level that you can spend tens of thousands of dollars on licensing in a heartbeat. Yeah, at the at the enterprise level, Absolutely. and and Microsoft to their credit gives a lot of thought to how do we make these products available in the SMB? And there's, you know, generally any of the major products you find, there is an addition that works at the SMB level. And so that's why, you know, we we view it as as another specialty. You know, being a small business specialist means that we have to to learn all of those pieces and still understand all of the enterprise techniques and just make sure they fit in our environment. Now, what about the the free tools that Microsoft puts out, which I generally also think of as enterprise type tools, like uh, the 
the uh, uh, deployment toolkit. Do you use that in a small business environment? We do. We do. We actually, uh, you know, we we use the, you know, both the, you know, all the deployment kits for uh, for the on the desktop side. We use those to do image based rollout. One of the nice things about working with a, a group like ours when you don't have an IT department internally is that we view our customer base kind of like one enterprise with very distinct departments. So, you know, whereas, you know, for, for us, you know, we're supporting, you know, a thousand or fifteen hundred endpoints across our customer base. So we look at this as, uh, you know, we're, we're serving a customer about fifteen hundred, you know, endpoints of, of size. Right. So we've got to take those same deployment methodologies and make our department as efficient as possible. And they just get the benefits of it down to customer, you know, a, a department that may only have, you know, one of our customers that may only have 10 users. But they're getting the aggregated capabilities of this large IT department. Right. And I, a 10-person company or a 10-user company is just not going to learn how to use deployment toolkit for their workstations. They'll hand-build them. Right. But when their IT guy is, you know, supporting, you know, that, that many desktops, he wants to get those desktops rolled out as quickly as possible. Even if it's only 10 in that one office, he wants to move as quickly as possible. And that's the model that we work under to deliver our services. And it, I guess where I love deployment toolkit is when we start replacing hardware and it takes no time at all to just push out new images and, and, uh, and have this and hand the salesperson their new machine, and they already know where everything is. Yep, exactly. I mean, and, and we're doing the exact same style. I mean, we're doing a Windows 7 deployment for a 25-user network. We're using that style of deployment. And we keep those, you know, we keep those images of those systems on their site on-premise so we're ready to go, and we can even do most of the work remotely. So if they need a, a new machine deployed, we can just have it installed Press go, get all the deployment images sent out, and, and issue them their new machine. Cool. Uh, I want to jump back a little bit to we we briefly touched on uh, virtualization with workstations. Maybe you could help paint the scenario a bit more about why you would want your workstations virtualized. So there's there's a number. I was actually just talking to some some Microsoft users this week about some of the way this all works. Um, you know, there are there are certain scenarios that make an awful lot of sense for a virtualized desktop. And what we talk about a lot is this idea of the task worker. You know, if you're an employee at an organization and you have one particular set of things that you do over and over and over again, and maybe you work on a shift with a team, this is a great way where we may virtualize your, your desktop. Because we can present to you, as the end user, a desktop that looks exactly the way you're used to working with it. But on the back end, it's actually running out on a server somewhere, and we've managed that, that that entire system is now a file, and if anything ever happens to it, we have great backups of it, we can restore it very quickly, and we can re-image it very, very quickly, and you can share those larger server resources to make sure that desktop is always available, and it's very high performance. So are you basically RDPing into a workstation session on a server? In, in a way, yes, but the but the experience is much more natural than that. Um, if we're do if we're doing it the way we, we're implementing it, you sit down at your system and you log in and you have no concept of the hidden RDP to it. You know that it it actually it is a full workstation. And additionally, different from a, from a terminal server session, it's a full dedicated operating system environment for you. 
you, know, you are not sharing that terminal server environment with other users and they run into them. You've got your own operating. Now, is this a Windows 7 trick? Are you actually copying the VM onto the onto the local machine and running it from there? Uh, so it, it, it kind of depends on the way we implement it. Right. Um, it, it often, oftentimes, we're still we're running those, those VMs in the data center because we want to take advantage of the high processor capability and the larger, more available memory. Right. Um, so oftentimes, we're running it on the server, but we have techniques where we could run it where you can have that image available on your local machine you know, for example, in a, le- on a laptop or a mobile-style environment, we want to make sure that your environment is available to you, even disconnected. And we can do that kind of piece and where it synchronizes back up and your desktop is available anywhere you need it. So what are the tools you're using to, to sort of create this, this flying virtualized uh, workstation? So, it, it, I mean, there's, again, a couple of different ways we can do it. The mm-hmm. Microsoft stack itself supports VDI, so virtual desktop infrastructure. Um, you know, you can actually do it with Server 2008 R2 and the brokerage and Windows 7 and all of the components that go to, go with it. You can do a full VDI implementation. You can do it with other partners. You know, we, we actually do use partners sometimes for that. We have a hosted model where if you don't, you don't even want to think about that, we can deliver it to you entirely over the web. And so you can log into your desktop just from a website. And then we've we've hidden all of the infrastructure from you. So really, there there's VDI here, and of course Microsoft has a whole set of, of pages around this. Is really making that transparent, whether I'm remotely connecting uh, a la terminal services type model RDP or bringing it down to the local machine to run it. You don't need to know; it should just work. That's the intention, and I mean, frankly, that's the philosophy that we we like to adhere to, particularly in the SMB. Right. Is these are again these are customers that I don't want them to have to think about how it works. They shouldn't need to employ an IT guy. They should just measure does it work and what's the return on my investment by using it. And if we're talking about those terms, it's 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 a business scenario, not a technical one. Although in in the course of this conversation, we sort of presented two competing workstation stories. There's the Microsoft deployment toolkit approach, where I maintain an image that I deploy to a machine. And then there's this uh, virtual desktop uh, approach where the the image exists on a server and can be run remotely or moved to the machine dynamically. You're, you're exactly right. And the way I view that is those are two different tools in my toolbox because I want to have the conversation. I want to talk to a business about what are they trying to accomplish from a business perspective and then pick the right tool out of my toolbox to help them work the best way for them. You know, I get you get a little frustrated by by an IT approach where you know I have a I have a hammer and everything's a nail. Right. Uh, you know, virtualization isn't right for everybody. I mean, we we found there st- there are studies that say you know about seventy percent of of workloads will be virtualized, and that will that will continue to grow. But you know, not everything is a solution. You know, you don't use that one technology for every single time. We've got to know a different number of different ones to match customers to the right option for them. I'm just trying to ima- think through what the differences are in those two different deployment models. And the only thing that really hit me is that uh, as long as you're running in that, when you're running the VDI approach, you have a monthly bill from an ISP for hosting that. Whereas if you're running the, the MDT approach, you own that hardware and there's no monthly bill. You paid it all up front. Sure. And that, that's, that's a big difference on the, on the business side. There's also differences on a technical side. I mean, some, some applications 
don't run well in VDI yet. Right. Um, you know, high, high graphic intensity such stuff and, and big computational pieces around CAD and, and design work and stuff. That just isn't, doesn't lend itself naturally to that. Um, and so, you know, again, there, there are environments where if it's a highly mobile environment where they aren't connecting to high capacity bandwidth on a regular basis, then also you're going to want to put as much as possible on the desktop there. It's it's a it's making good business decisions about what right is right for them. So the correct answer is always it depends. It it really does, and you know <laughs> you, you sort of say that with a smile, and and I you know I hate always starting having to tell people it depends, but it does. Yeah. The the the, re, the reason you want to work with you know a good IT or consultancy or organization is to have that design skill and the ability to make those decisions rather than raw, the pure ability to implement it, because it's that insight into making the right decision that differentiates a good solution provider from another. Right. And, and, and really, I mean, we just talked about two scenarios. The third scenario is the cloud approach, where right. you're, you're literally paying for this by utility computing. And, and I got to think that, once again, it depends. You may end up with a mix of all three. Yeah, I mean, I actually think that, that some of the main way that these these are going to get rolled out is hybrid models, where we're combining the best technology from each to create a solution for a customer. You know, I, I don't think necessarily everyone's going to embrace, you know, purely cloud or purely on-premise anymore. I think you're going to see these hybrids. I mean, for example, if you already think about it, many people have been using, you know, quote-unquote cloud services for a while. If you've subscribed to your anti-spam solution, you know, for the past two or three years, which is the way we've offered it for a while, you're already using cloud services. Yeah, that, that product has slipped under the cloud banner now. Yeah, but it's always been there. I mean, it, yeah. it, it's always been a cloud delivery. We're just now sort of wising up and calling it that. That's right. Um, and it, it, it's a great example to get, tell customers, look, you've already been doing this. It's just a matter of picking which services make sense to deliver that way, and then which ones are required on premise, and then what do we do with the other piece? Yeah, there's no, there's not going to be one right way for any given business or even within a business. It's not, it's going to end up being a mix. Exactly. And I really like, you know, DR as a, a sort of cloud service. I, I hate the idea of owning servers that are sitting around waiting for something to go wrong. I'd rather spin up something when I needed it. Well, and, and actually, that's why in the SMB, that's why most companies haven't ever had a DR plan. Right. Is because, I mean, when, when you're a small company, you're not in the business of keeping you know, expensive spare hardware around just in case. <laughs> yeah. You know, that that one or two server or maybe three server investment, that was your that was your budget. And you know, and, and the you know the, the ability to, to maintain it, that that's the piece you budgeted for. You're not spending money to just put on the shelf and, and not use. That, that's not the not the way they want to implement. And so, you know, as a DR solution, it's proving to be very, very effective because now we can actually have DR plans for companies that really it's just been out of reach for for so long. Well, and in, in, in a utility model, I'm basically the the, pay, the cost of that thing is minimal while I'm not using it. I'll light it up each day to, to push the journals up for the, the virtual machines. And the rest of the time, it's basically dormant. So the cost is going to be extremely low. But in a crisis, when we need to light it up, there it is. It's ready to go. And right. Now we incur charges by utilization, but we don't we don't pay for it. And we're not using it. Exactly. And that and that's the that's the, the right way to, to deliver. And it's it's effective for the, the customer. And in particular, it, the model works so well at the SMB. 
Dave, I think we're just about out of time. Is there uh, some places that people should be looking to understand this technology better? Sure. So, I mean, the, the way we the way we help with the information is from a from a customer perspective. We put the information for customers on our website at www.evolvetechtch.com. If you're an IT professional and want to see our thoughts on it from the IT professional's end, we put that at www.smvvirtualization.net um, because we think it's two different audiences and we want to talk in, in different terms to the to the two different kinds of people. Um, you know, you can follow us on on Twitter, both at at, at Evolve Tech or at SMB Virtual. Um, we're on Facebook. We're on all of the different places, and I also post personally in in, a, in all of those places as well. Dave Sobel, thanks so much for coming on the show. Oh, thanks for having me, Richard. And we'll talk to you next week on Run As Radio. 